Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Um, now on to the Cactus League, a novel. Uh, Jason Goodyear is the star outfielder for the Los Angeles Lions, stationed with the rest of his team in the punishingly hot Arizona desert for their annual spring training. I, 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 just let me just... Do you want me to check the mic while you do the level? Uh, yeah, I think it's just because it's close to the PA here, oh, okay. uh, but it won't do that over there. Uh, and if it... I'll, I'll work on it. Anyway, okay. Jason Goodyear is the star outfielder for the Los Angeles Lions, stationed with the rest of his team in the punishingly hot Arizona desert for their annual spring training. Handsome, famous, and talented, Goodyear is nonetheless coming apart at the seams. And the coaches, writers, wives, girlfriends, petty criminals, and diehard fans following his every move are eager to find out why, as they hide secrets of their own. Anchored by an expert knowledge of baseball's inner workings, the Cactus League is a propulsive and deeply human debut that captures a strange desert world that is both exciting and unforgiving, where the most crucial games are the ones played off the field. Mitchell S. Jackson writes, a debut? You've got to be kidding. The Cactus League reads like the work of a seasoned novelist. The way the tension ramps, the richly drawn characters. At the heart of this amazing novel is Emily's understanding of the crucibles faced by those both in the limelight and out of it. Um, and can I just mention that in the book list review, starred review, somebody used the word galimafry. Have you guys he heard this word? Galimafry. Is that how we say it? Yeah. Jumble, a medley. I just wanted to say that. I, yeah. eh, okay. Um, okay. And as J. Ryan Straddle writes, Emily Nemon's uh, magnificent debut is a masterwork of great empathy and detail, uncovering the realms of incredible pain and beauty enmeshed within every level of America's pastime. If you love baseball, you won't put it down, and if you don't love baseball, you might by the end. Emily Nemons is the editor of the Paris Review. She was previously the co-editor of the Southern Review. Her work has been published in Esquire, N Plus One, the Gettysburg Review, Hobart, and elsewhere. J. Ryan Straddle is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Kitchens of the Great Midwest, uh, which won the 2016 American Booksellers Association Indies Choice Award for Adult Debut Book of the Year the 2016 Midwest Booksellers Choice Award for Debut Fiction, and the 2016 Southern California Independent Booksellers Association Award for 2016's Top Novel. So it was in 2016. Um, <laughs> his second novel, The Logger Queen of Minnesota, was an instant national bestseller. I'm really excited. We're all very excited to have these two authors with us today, incredibly talented. Please join me in welcoming Emily Nemons and J. Ryan Straddle. Hi, thanks, for, thanks so much for coming out on a weeknight. It's Los Angeles. It's not easy to get around. You know, you could be home watching television. Instead, you're out here supporting literature and books at an independent bookstore. So thank you. Yes, thank Love you for that. being here. Love that. Uh, okay, one real quick question for you at the top. You were published in Hobart. Yeah. I love Hobart. They were my first publication. So Hobart has an annual, I don't know if it's still annual, yes. but the baseball um, yes. issue yes. where it's all sports literature and getting a story into Hobart, into the baseball issue, 
I was like, okay, I can write a baseball book. If, yeah. if, if Hobart says <laughs> you're doing this right, um, if you're in that conversation, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, real quick, I got a question for some of the audience. George Ducker, have you ever been published in Hobart's baseball issue? No? Okay, not in the baseball issue. Okay, just want to like he he could be all right. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was published in that issue once as well. Yeah, yeah. Love it, and I agree with you. That's a transom you want to cross as a as a writer of sports fiction. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one other quick thing I want to talk about. I love this book. My God, I love this book. Please buy it. It's my favorite book of 2020. Oh, I read a lot. <laughs> yeah. My God, you're gonna love it. All right. Just had to get that. Just want to say that first. Okay, I've heard that you're a longtime baseball fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you grew up with. Uh, you grew up in Seattle, and were a fan of the Mariners during the Ken Griffey Jr. years. Yeah, my dad yeah. is a, a displaced New Yorker. He grew oh. up walking distance from Yankee Stadium, oh. and so he moved to Seattle. I think the same year as Mariners. And he oh. might have seen the last few months of the pilots. I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, but in any case, by the time I showed up, it was the Kingdom, it was the Mariners, wow. and they had just drafted Griffey out of um, high, high school. school. Yeah. So I remember being six and watching him being 19 and just <laughs> falling in love. I mean, they called him the kid. Yeah. Here, I'm a kid. He's a kid. <laughs> everyone's a kid. There's that identification uh, you look yeah. for in media. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, that was sort of the start of a really exciting time for the Mariners. Um, mm. mm-hmm. Yeah, Jay Buhner, Edgar Martinez, Randy Johnson. Tino. Yeah. Tino, of course. Omar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then Ichiro, eventually. Oh, of course, Ichiro, yeah. 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 That's so. fantastic. And so there's a lot of baseball fans among writers, but not a lot of baseball novels, especially lately. So how did you decide that your debut novel would be set in a world of baseball, and why spring training? Yeah, so... Um, I moved to Louisiana in 2011 mm-hmm. to start a graduate program in creative writing, and I was trying to think about something, a big project that could sustain me mm. um, for, for my graduate thesis and hopefully into a first book. And uh, the first thing I wrote when I moved to Louisiana was a 78-word short story about the renovation of Yankee Stadium. Huh. And it... Um, and it was, you know, very auto-fiction-y in that my father took a chair from the 74 renovation of Yankee Stadium and hauled it around the country. Um, oh, and wow. we have one in our basement. There's one in the Smithsonian. Oh, wow. Um, it was just this remarkable piece of Americana. I wrote this very short piece about it. Um, it got published. And I thought, hey, this is really fun. You know, baseball is a sport. People write about it. Um, obviously there's a long tradition of sports writing and reportage, but there's also this lineage of sports literature and I like doing it for five sentences. Let's see if I can figure out how to write a book about it. Uh Awesome. Yeah. So I like the structure you chose for your narrative. (laughs) Thank you. It's not unlike the structure of your first book. Right. right. Um, what influenced you to choose this structure and were there also any baseball-related POVs you considered including but didn't or wrote and, it, and didn't make the cut? Yeah, so um, there are nine chapters being a good baseball book. Um, mm-hmm. there, are, there are nine, um, yeah, nine, st- nine innings, <laughs> yeah. nine stories that are, are woven together in a meaningful way. You know, I started writing these as stories, as independent stories all taking mm. place at the same place at the same time in spring training um, 
in a particular season. But I realized, you know, there would be a lot more momentum if the first built on the, or the first led to the second, led to the third. And if there were enough narrative strains and continuity between each chapter, um, that not unlike a baseball game, you know, each inning is a discrete unit, has its own arc, mm. but together they um, tell a bigger story. And it took a long time to figure that out. Mm. Um, but once once it sort of snapped together, I can't imagine it being any other way. Mm-hmm. So I had at one point, you know, there's, it's a small team. I mean, there's 80 people showing up trying to make the 25-man squad. I, I had a baseball writer tell me, um, or not a baseball writer, a, a retired uh, manager mm. was reading the book early, and he's like, you know, nobody, no, no team has more than 60 players show up. It's crazy to have 80 there. <laughs> and I said, okay. And he's <clears> like, except for that one season where we had 100, and that was really crazy. And I said, so this is actually within the realm yeah, of possibility. Right, right. And, and there's something really interesting about having the higher stakes of the the narrower gauntlet of getting from 80 down to 25. Oh, yeah. Um, at one point, I had named all 40, a 40-man roster. Oh, my and, God. I love it. And I love um, it. So, girlfriends it, it, and wives for most of them. Oh, my God. And, wow. And that wow. was kind of a slog as a reader. Um, oh, sure. There was too many pitchers. Maybe, it, yeah. Oh, there always would be, especially in spring training. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe, yeah, you could have that as an appendice in the um, uh, uh, paperback. Maybe. You know, have the 40-man roster list. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I kept you the list. Yeah. I kept oh, okay. it, but I've also moved across the country, so I oh. have no idea where that piece <coughs> oh, of paper okay. is. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. It was like all neurotic um, blue pen. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I love it. So. So, um, oh, I had a follow-up question now, but I forgot it. Yeah, you were based asking on about who, who else got Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Other points of view. Yeah, I, you know, I was watching all the news <clears throat> pitchers and catchers showed up last week, and mm-hmm. I think the first, and and full squad practice was this week, and first games are next week, so um, I, you know, have, I've been watching sort of all the feeds about spring training beginning, it's not a coincidence this book came out on February 4th, you know, like, <laughs> I wanted to sort of ride that wave, but um mm-hmm. I realized I totally forgot about the team semi that arrives with all of the gear, and I wish I had mm. written about, you know, I, there was a great um, Instagram story of, like, the athletics um, pulling into Arizona with their semi. And I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, shoot, I, I, I missed the truck full of bats. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and all the sannies and everyone's uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, the equipment manager, like, makes a very brief cameo. Mm-hmm. There's only a little bit of Dorsey Payne, who's, the you know, the, the manager. Um, but, you know, a big part of there's only, there's a lot of the team, of course, but I was really interested in the concentric circles moving out from the team. And, mm. um, you know, the the concession workers and yes. the organist are two Oh, yeah, ma- Lester two and major, Alex's mama, yeah. Yeah, two major players. But then thinking about sort of even beyond that, um, the regulars in the stadium, mm. the people who are thinking about, um, who are working nearby and sort of rely on that income of a million people showing up for the month of March. Um, You know, in that way, it's this major tourist engine. I didn't really write about any tourists, but there's probably a whole nother book of just all the stag parties and Mm father-daughter weekends and and golf trips that are, you know, golf and baseball. Mm -hmm. Right, right, that, that, that occupy the same realm. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I love about your book is more than a lot of baseball books I've read. It really gets into that 
unseen world that surrounds the world that we see on television. Right. And <clears throat> you populated that world with a lot of characters mm -hmm. that you don't often see in baseball stories. And you also tackled class in a way that I don't often see books set within the world of sports at all, other than the occasional kind of Horatio Alger type athlete, mm -hmm. you know. Um, like in this case, yeah, you talk about the disparities between, you know, people working minimum wage, you know, 100 feet away from millionaires, right. you know. Uh, and it's, it's really intoxicating to me, uh, but also because you love these characters so much. And that's one of the reasons I love this book so much. Is it's so wonderful to read a book where the evident, where the where the love for the characters is so evident, and I'm I'm really curious to hear about how some of these individual characters came to be and why it was important for you to tell their stories. Yeah, um, <coughs> I was you know starting to write this. Um, another thing that happened in 2011 when I moved um, to Louisiana is I was thrown into the deep end of SEC football. Oh. And uh, watching, were you going to LSU? I was. Okay. I was going to LSU, and so watching amateur athletes and sort of all of the fans and people who um, rely on the engine of collegiate sports to to make a life, mm -hmm. whether it means you know make a paycheck, and those are the busiest days that you know as a bartender across the street from that yeah. from Tiger Stadium, or if it's you know the social highlight of the year in terms of people tailgating starting on Thursday afternoon and, mm. you know, until they come through with the, the street sweeper on Sunday. Um, mm. uh, so I was really interested in, in, in the motivations and the profiles of all those different people that care about sports. And they're not just millionaires. I mean, obviously athletes are um, at a major league level are, are making a lot of money being professional athletes, but, you know, for minor leaguers, there's a lot more economic vulnerability there. Um, for coaches, um, on the mm. opening chapter is um, about a minor league coach, and, you know, that's that's not a comfortable existence necessarily, especially if you're supporting a few generations of your family. Um, I think writing about class, you know, it, it's set in 2011, which is – it was, historically, there was um, a new stadium, Salt River Fields, that opened that spring sort of on the eastern edge of Scottsdale. And Scottsdale and all of Phoenix had boomed so much during the housing boom and busted so hard um, during the, the Great Recession. And there was um, a lot of, you know, sort of exurban neighborhoods that were on the verge of going feral, um, mm. either because of underdevelopment or development that stalled or people who had moved in and then, you know, lost their homes um, to uh, getting behind on payments. And and I thought, you know, the idea of this new uh, architecture sort of rising like a phoenix, right? Mm -hmm. um, and having this new home stadium is a really right opportunity to juxtapose that against the housing crisis and and so the high the highs are high the lows are low um in 2011 in particular i i don't know that we've moved that far past it um but to to think about that you're gonna write about class mm -hmm. uh, that's a really long way around to your <laughs> um to your as long as it needed to be question yeah. but yeah. um you know, I, one of my earliest projects as an illustrator is I worked on a graphic mm. adaptation of Studs Terkel's Working. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah, I got to 
collaborate with Harvey Picar, which was very, very oh, wow. cool. Um, he he drew this little stick figured script, like you know, in this pane, there's a stick figure saying this, and the next <laughs> pane, there's a stick figure walking. Um, but just thinking about all the different ways that Americans work and right. why mm-hmm. is you know the central thesis of that book, and you know, I I wasn't. It wasn't a one-to-one, I'm going to write about that in this book, but clearly it got under my skin and into the bloodstream. It did, and it's better for it. It's a wonderful book for it. Uh, Speaking of, would you like to read an excerpt? Yeah, sure. Which Um, character are you going to read to us from? um, That's a good question. Uh, Maybe I'll start just to to set the tone and sort of orient everyone um, towards this new stadium. The book has these nine chapters, each of which is introduced by our narrator, an unnamed gentleman. Mm. Um, And we can talk more about him after I read. Um, Welcome to Salt River Fields, the newest spring training facility in Scottsdale, Arizona. Turn east off of Pima. Drive down the fresh boulevard Lions Way. You're flanked by parking lots so new they still smell like tar. They're white hatching wet. Ample parking for the anticipated crowds already sold out for opening day. Note the median's plantings, environmentally sustainable xeriscape. Of course, this is 2011, and the club cares about our natural resources, is mindful of the perpetual drought in Phoenix Metro. A few Christmas cacti bloom, despite it being February. And here, at the terminus of the boulevard, is the centerpiece of the multi-field complex. The 12,000-seat stadium that will be the new springtime home of your Los Angeles Lions. Take it all in. The crisp chalk diamond, the ready arc of infield, the bright checkerboard of the outfield. It's not easy to grow grass like that in the desert. I offer a hat tip to the grounds crew. And see out past the warning track and fence, there's the shock green tilt of a well-watered general admission lawn. Farther still on the horizon, the ridge of mountains, jutting into the blue like the teeth of some mile-high saw. Take note of the architecture, too. The exposed beams and brick, the slate-gray cantilevered canopy over a sunken seating bowl, the polished concrete rotunda and concourse, a classic-looking stadium. Timeless in design, some might say, even if it's anything but. Nothing is static, not the bluegrass, ryegrass blend growing out there, not the architecture, not the angle of the sun hitting the seats. Not a man's career, especially not a ball player the first weeks of spring. His batting average, his ambition, his hopes, all is in flux. I'm looking towards Lions left fielder Jason Goodyear as I write this, coming off the gold glove and a second, a close second place in American League MVP voting, coming off a possible divorce and a lonely drive across the desert in his busted old Jeep. But that feeling of uncertainty isn't reserved for all-stars in the freshly dumped could apply to any player on the squad, any coach on the bench, any man in the executive suite, any fan in the stands. I'm looking at his entourage, his agent, Herb Allison, his maybe wife, Liana, his favorite minor league batting coach, and the devotees who would give an eye tooth just to be near him. It's all up in the air. Here's the thing about baseball and all else. Everything changes, whether it's the slow creep of glaciers dripping towards the sea or the steady piling up of cut stones, rock upon rock, until the wall reaches chest high. Nothing is still. Sometimes change comes as quick and catastrophic as a line drive. 
Hear the crack of wood displacing a spear of leather, yarn, rubber, and cork. Watch how it pushes the ball flat and then just as quickly forward. The action springs the left fielder from his squat, and the man's metal spikes tear into the turf, kicking up tiny wedges of grass, sending them towards the sky. Um, yeah, so tell us about him. Yeah, so that is our Greek course. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I started, those interstitial chapters actually started as a geological history of Arizona. Um, mm. You know, thinking about the built environment and how much Phoenix Metro had changed. Um, on one level, it was really monumental, but it's adjacent to this magnificent mountain range. And the you know this is the hippie northwest kid in me but like it's a beautiful landscape and i think that recent interventions um undermined that and mm. on a certain level you know the way that humans have changed the landscape was um was really challenging and i wanted to interrogate that and think about you know writing about these new stadiums and pieces of monumental architecture um, to put that in perspective by understanding the place on which they were built. So I did a very deep dive into the geology of Arizona and had this piece of writing that had a different tone than, you know, the close thirds of the rest of the book. Um, had this energy and momentum that felt different but necessary. And um, so I s split it up and realized, oh, wait, this is sort of... Um, mapping onto the history of the season just in terms of you know at one point the whole area was underwater and then there were really tall mountains and erosion happened and rivers showed up and and just sort of all of the momentum and and major shifts um that happen over the history of a place are not unlike the way a team coalesces mm. or doesn't um so i had my timeline and for a long time um I didn't know who was talking, and I realized, it, but they were serving sort of as a Greek course, and I realized, um, I don't know, seven years into writing, uh, <laughs> like the 21st century equivalent of this omniscient narrator that would come in and summarize and, you know, be a bit foreboding, but also just try to catch everyone up which mm. is sort of how I think about a Greek course, that would be a journalist. <laughs> that would be <laughs> right, right, a, right. a writer who is trying to be objective, but of course is a human like all of us and has a subjective perspective on what he's watching around him. Mm -hmm. um, so I was thinking about that and, you know, it being the recession and watching so many local papers sort of hemorrhage the writers, um, having him be out of work, which gives him the time to really pursue this story in a dogged but slightly disenfranchised way um, mm. um, gave him an engine and a point of view that just felt right. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Real quick question before yeah. um, we, we we go on. I remember what I wanted to follow up on. Yeah. If you can answer this, who is the manager you spoke to? The one who mentioned like not having a hundred having up to 100 people in spring training. Oh, yeah. It was Sandy Alderson. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. He's a friend of a friend. And oh, that's so cool. He was, he was really generous. I mean, it was between first and second pass, which is, you know, you're proofreading at that point. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I've really been avoiding 
getting all my baseball facts checked because I'm scared about it. You mm-hmm. know, I, I'm worried I messed it up or I've gotten something horribly wrong. I'm not a sports writer mm-hmm. except for, you know, the 2012 LSU football season where I was in the press corps, which was <laughs> delightful. You know, I, mean, I, I'm not, I, I think I know my stuff, but I'd like to make sure. And, right. um, he was really generous. He read it and he said, you know, you're writing literary fiction, you're a woman, um, for certain people, those two things will make them skeptical of you. I don't want you to make a bozo baseball error that mm. will, you know, um, alienate readers. Mm. So let's get these things right. Wow. And there weren't that many things. Um, apparently, you never, ever, ever call a major league manager coach. Oh. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, and and there's a chapter which requires someone to throw a complete game in spring training, which also never happens. But I was right. like, listen, yeah. this is a very dramatic moment. It's important for the narrative that, you know, we go really off script in terms of what a, what a pitching coach would let a young arm do. Right, right. Just so long as it's, it, it, just so long as it's acknowledged that it's off script, like yeah. in the text. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, right, right. Awesome. All right, so take us back a little further. Um, mm-hmm. How do you go from growing up a Mariners fan in Seattle to becoming the editor of the Paris Review and now a debut novelist? Yeah, um, <laughs> it gets weirder because uh, I was an art history major That's in, right. in um, college. And, you know, I think in a certain way that helped me prepare to write the book because so much of at least the art history I get most excited about is thinking sort of about cultural movements understanding why they resonated at that moment you know looking back at the history of art looking at a painting and thinking you know what what does that say about society at that Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to call a baseball player a painter but I think the way we talk about celebrity and professional athletes says something about contemporary society so um, my art history had helped a little bit Um, also you mentioned earlier um, you know doing uh, you know working on a narrative project based on Suds Turkle that right. Harvey Pekor uh, sort of storyboarded. Yeah. Now, did you do any narrative-related art in as an undergraduate? Or, mm-hmm. di- or did any of your art have a specific narrative bent to it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was living in Madrid mm. in 2004. Um, I did a, a semester abroad there, and which was great, studying arch- art history, architectural history, the you know, 20th century Spanish art is all about... Um, you know, works produced in advance of and in response to the Spanish Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking at Guernica every Tuesday afternoon, we had a mm. class that met in the Reina Sofia. Mm. And um, that was also the year that there were those horrible train bombings in Atsuchut Station right across mm. the street. So mm-hmm. I ended up making um, a graphic novel sort of about um, being in Spain during that time, sort of thinking about the history of political art on the Iberian Peninsula um, versus juxtaposed with this experience of sort of living through a, a moment of political turmoil and and um, political violence. So, yeah, sorry, that's a little heavy. That's right. um, Was it working on that project that inspired you to go to LSU to study writing? Or, like, what point did you decide, I'm a novelist and not a graphic I was, novelist? Yeah, um, I was writing... Um, all the way through. Okay. Actually, I have a friend here in the audience, and we were in a writing group when we were, you know, baby writers at 22. Oh, um, like, awesome. we're going to write books. And um, and I was trying to write 
all through my 20s living in New York the first time, but didn't really have the the focus or the skill sets I needed to, to do more than what it felt like. You know, I was trying my hardest to take myself seriously, but I, mm. I didn't feel like I had um, the toolkit I needed. Um, so I was living in New York, writing a little bit, reading a little bit, and uh, working a ton. I worked for the American Institute of Architects, which is probably mm. why the ghost of Frank Lloyd Wright is in the book. <laughs> um, uh, but at that point, I, I realized I really wanted to reorient my creative life and uh, move from Williamsburg, Brooklyn to Baton Rouge, mm. Louisiana. It's a hefty reorientation. It was. Yeah. It, it was a lot. Um, the humidity alone. <laughs> right, right, right. So who are some people that were especially helpful along the way? Oh, well, we talked about Sandy. He was at yeah. in the ninth inning, I, oh, you could yeah. say. Um, you know, when I decided that I wanted to write this book about sports, I realized I had a lot of catching up to do. And so in 2012, I, I took an independent study um, with the Shakespearean LSU's English department. Mm. And he was <clears throat> also the faculty athletic rep. So wow. anyone who, like, knows about, you know, collegiate sports, they're basically, you know, the, the check on – on the athletic program, making sure that, you know, best practices are happening. Nobody's copying off a master key okay. <laughs> um, across the football team, that kind of thing. Mm. And, and like an important liaison between the academic departments and the athletic department, um, which is to say that, you know, me coming with a reading list, the length of my arm and saying, I want to read these and think about how they could help my book. Mm -hmm. um, he was all for it. And most of our meetings depended on the season, but we're either in, you know, at the PMAC watching basketball or in Alex Box watching baseball. And oh, he'd wow. just be like, so what'd you read? Uh-huh. What'd you think? Um, so he was really wonderful. Um, my graduate, um, my thesis advisor is a story writer named Jennifer Davis. She was great. Um, yeah, and then along the way, um, just a lot of a lot of helping hands you know I started this what nine years ago and so a lot of people have sort of encouraged me um a really lucky um seating assignment there's a big writing conference every spring called the association of writers and writing programs oh, sure AWP AWP yeah. about 12,000 writers show up it's at these giant convention centers it's very helpful and good outreach and kind of miserable <laughs> is that is that fair? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think there's some... Uh, there's some nods. There's um, certainly some uh, former AWP uh, attendees in the audience. I, yeah, I yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, you want to protect your time and your space and half the airplane going up to, in this case, it was Minnesota. Oh, wow. Yeah, writers, I was at that one, too. Yeah. yeah. We're writers, and, you know, I'm not it usually... It's snowed. April. I'm yeah. not usually one to make friends on a plane, and... You know, I was editing the Southern Review at the time, and I really didn't want someone to ask how to get into the magazine. You know, when I pulled mm. out this stack of manuscripts, so I'm, I'm holding <laughs> my manuscripts like this, hoping he doesn't make eye contact. And he says, you know, um, are you going to AWP? And I said, yeah. And uh, he, it was a guy named Dan Hoyt. He's a writer who teaches in Kansas, but he had been a beat writer, mm. a sports writer for um, a long time. And so AWP in Minnesota was five years ago, six years ago. It was 2014. Yeah. So he, I told him I was writing this book about spring training baseball and he has been cheering me on. Oh, that's so cool. Since 2014. Love it. Um, you know, just 
because it was it was not the smoothest road to publication and you know he just believed in this book from from that moment mm-hmm. oh that's so wonderful to hear yeah, yeah i mean there, there's a there's a story behind almost everybody that's in that acknowledgement section in the back of a novel and mm-hmm. You know, I, I often say when I look at my own novels, I wish there could be 20 names on the cover because I sure didn't write this book alone. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I love talking to other writers about that. So since you joined the Paris Review, what yeah. writers have you discovered or what writers have, have been introduced to you through working on that magazine that you're excited to talk about that maybe have books coming out? Or um, well, you might be embarrassed by this, but I would like to have everyone uh, give a round of applause to Jonathan Escoffery, who's back there. Um, Jonathan, we published a story from him last summer, and it was part of our submission for the National Magazine Award Mm. for fiction, and we found out last week we won. Oh, awesome. Thank you, Jonathan, for the beautiful, beautiful story. Um, Another piece of that submission was... um, Kimberly King Parsons mm. uh, story Foxes and her her debut collection came out in paperback um, I guess in August or so I don't know if people picked up Blacklight but it's a beautiful collection um, that was great um, Amy somewhere here uh, there's another contributor to the mag- magazine and the oh, next I love issue it. I love yeah. it. that's so yeah. sweet um, have, 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 has the book tour given you the opportunity to connect with some contributors yeah 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 absolutely so nice. so nice. um yeah. yeah i have a rental car i'm sort of zipping around la on this trip um oh sweet yeah um also i mean it's young writers and that's exciting and i'm also really excited the next issue comes out in i guess two or three weeks um and one of the interviews is with nathaniel Mackey, who mm. is a, a poet um an elder statesman who's work I've really admired as someone who is interested in, um, you know, he's an epic poet and uh, writes a lot about music and about jazz and, you know, feels slightly, I think, um, difficult or challenging in terms of writing epic poetry with a lot of reference across several media, you know, not just literary reference, but musical ones. And Mm. he just gave this really generous interview that I think for people that know his work and love it, um, sort of fuels the flames of that but also makes it his work accessible and um you know offers an entry point into this really important but underappreciated writer awesome so that's march 10 but you okay. know the current issue has the george saunders interview which oh, is fantastic which is just you know what a generous guy oh yeah 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 i i, I love that dude i remember when uh, he read here oh maybe t- 10 years ago now i came with uh uh, a buddy of mine who was a bookseller in Venice at Small World named mm-hmm. Jamie. And he asked, is Jamie in the audience? And Jamie raised his hand and he said, George Saunders told him, I'm taking you out for a beer because your bookstore has sold more copies of my latest book than any other book. And I know it's because of you. I know it's because you put on an end cap. Your hand's selling it. I want to take you out. Oh, He's wow. that kind of writer that wants to take booksellers out for beer after the event. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 really sweet man. All right, two more questions, and then we open it up to the crowd. Um, are there, yeah, are there any other books you've enjoyed recently that you'd like to see more people reading? Um, I shared a pub day with Gabriel Bump, 
Oh, yeah. Uh, I was on a panel with them at BEA last year. Belong. It's oh, great. awesome guy. Really I don't know. nice. Have guy. you read that? Oh, yeah. I haven't read it. No. I mean, yeah. it just came out. Yeah. It just yeah. came out. And I, I don't want to be dethroned as your favorite book of 2020, oh, but uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's really, really good. Um, I really enjoyed that one. Um, I, you know, I read in a kind of funny way because for the magazine, I'm reading, you know, stories as soon as they're finished, but then also for serial things that are like nine months out mm-hmm. and then <laughs> also like deep dives into retrospective stuff. Like we're working on our, the Rachel Cusk interviews and the oh, next fantastic. issue. And so it, like, that's how I spent Thanksgiving break was just, you know, uh, 10 inches of Cusk, <laughs> um, just sort of reorienting. That's so great. I, you know, I'm trying to read stuff coming out every month just so I sort of understand what's happening in publishing, but, yeah. um, that's sort of third, third in line. Okay. Yeah, I understand. And finally, uh, what's something you love about baseball or something you learned about baseball that you couldn't quite fit into this book? Um, well, I think this last week with all the controversies, um, you know, there's Jason has his foil. He, he's got an off-the-field problem, and, and that was enough to sort of provide the engine um, for – for the the story and but just watching how um, athletes are responding to one another and sort of the interpersonal um, conflict of the teammates. I mean, there's some of that in the book, but I feel like um, I could have written a whole another book about just sort of um, betrayal between mm. between athletes. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, well, it's not fantastic. Well, I mean, no, it's a I mean real it's bummer. fantastic that you that you have a whole <laughs> book within you that you could have written. Or I could have also write. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not cheating. He has another vice, but right. Um, yeah, it's it's been it's been a lot to watch. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Emily and Evans, everyone. Thank you. All right, let's hear from you folks. Uh, what do you have to ask her? Oh, yes. Yeah. Also came out on February 4th, also has a blue cover. Mm. Oh, boy. I mean, I think that, you know, baseball was, it's such a sort of, um, it's primacy or it's prime moment. I I think it's still America's pastime, but, you know, it was particularly so at this mid-century moment where a lot of things about American culture were idealized. And so in that way, it's, um, you know, helpful to bring it back. I I read Gish's book and really enjoyed it, but in that case, it's, you know, um, relying on this sort of pure example of Americana um, in a dystopian society or a dystopian moment and and leaning on that juxtaposition to sort of make the engine go. Um, you know, a, a theme of my book is sort of 
the the possibility of renewal and and the generation of spring as as this moment of birth um, and and rebirth, but also acknowledging that everyone ages and you know that there is something of a slow decline happening for almost everyone in the book. I mean, there's a few young players that are on their way up, but for many of them, it's um, it's either a slow slope or a steep one. And um, and I felt like you know that's at least in in sort of the discourse around baseball versus football that's been happening as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the market shares go um, down and up, respectively. Does that answer your question a little? Yeah. Um, yeah, any other questions? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, happy ending. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I can. I mean, I, it's not, um, yeah, I can. I, you know, I'm a little bashful about it because you want to just come out of the gate swinging. I think there's a real pressure with debut novelists to, you know, publish young and strong and, and get it right the first time. But, you know, when I graduated from LSU, I got... I had a story collection that was many of these same characters. Like I said, they were not particularly talking to one another. Um, they were all um, in the same place at the same time, but it was not, but it was, that was it, you know, full stop. And I got an agent overnight at a really good agency who called me up and said, I don't know what a lead off is, but I love this book. Mm. And so, you know, for me, that was, that's also been a really important thing for me to do is write sports literature, but have it be accessible as a piece of literary fiction. So I was really excited, really headstrong, really ready to go in 2015. Um, Mm. And, you know, we went out as a story collection that year and couldn't sell it. And I, I took it back. I spent a year drawing cartoons um, for the New Yorker, or trying to get into the New Yorker, and eventually sold one um, after about six months. And after, so it wasn't a whole year, but like after six months, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and look at this again and see if I can make this a book or make this a better book. Um, So that's sort of when, you know, it felt a little bit like, um, yeah, breaking the spine and, and reorganizing things and, you know, for a while it felt like Frankensteining it in a scary way until it felt natural to, to reorient things around this star athlete, to, to put them on the timeline of the spring season and understand one thing does need to happen before the other, or if they need to, if they're happening concurrently, um, you need to do that elegantly. So that, that was just, you know, another two years or so. Yeah, and you found Emily Bell. Yes. Yeah. And Emily Bell is um, was my editor, is my editor at FSG, and um, yeah, she just got it. You know, I once it was a book again, again or a novel rather than a story collection. Um, we went out to market, and she preempted it, which was you know publishing talk for someone getting on the phone and saying, "I love this book. I understand it. I want to help you mm-hmm. make it even stronger." Um, Let's go. Right. I want it more than anyone else. I, I want it more than it. anyone else. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and she did. And she gave me some really good notes about sort of how to get it over the finish line. 
Um, I didn't agree with all of them, but, you know, I think that conflict or that um, difference of opinion, you know, sort of made me push for the things I cared about even more. Yeah. So that's the bumpy road. Uh, right here in the second row. Yeah. No, he was sort of part of that regeneration. Um, like, I, you know, I had the geology and the, the, the history of the place. Um, and when I sort of broke that up across the book, I realized, you know, that was in a distinct voice. And But I didn't know whose voice that was. And it took a lot of sort of trying things out and soul searching to realize that's the narrator. And the narrator is this out-of-work journalist. He does, yeah. Yeah, he's been getting some, getting beat up a little bit, and and the reviews. Um, well, they always got to pick one thing. You I know, know. <laughs> I know, and I mean it's the most meta thing, you know, to have yeah. a Greek course that's a. Out of work journalist. Um, <laughs> who, who Maybe can, it's too close to home. <laughs> yeah, can, can see the future. I mean, he doesn't see the future, but he has his hunches. He has his leads, and that's very helpful <coughs> in terms of storytelling as well. Um, yeah, oh, you know, poor guy. Um, right, right. But I, I'm glad he's there. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yes. Um, it, there, there's a pivotal moment in it. Um, you know, spring is the beginning of the season. I didn't want it to have sort of a very terminal end. Um, I, I felt like the ambiguity of leaving things open-ended, um, pointing towards renewal and, and regeneration felt right. Um, it was really important to me. It happened outside the stadium, you know, with, with Jason um, making, you know, this athlete perform outside of his comfort zone, um, away from the field. I, I knew from the very beginning, I just didn't quite know how to get them there. Was that, a, I feel like I sort of spoke, spoke obtusely because I don't want to give away the ending, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right there. Um, it was a l both and all. Um, it was a lot of, I'm a fiction writer, and so, you know, it was getting really close into the heads of of these people, thinking about what would they do. Um, you know, the first chapter is told from the perspective of a 60-something batting coach, and, um, you know, one of the best compliments I've gotten about the book is uh, I was at a party wearing a dress and heels, and an early reader came up to me and said, you're such a good old man. And, mm. um, <laughs> you know, for me, I think probably because of the oral history um, being, you know, an early project for me, um, other people's voices, other people's stories, just, I, I'm not going to say it comes naturally. It's still really hard work, but it's a thing 
that I love doing. Um, so mm-hmm. that part was the fiction writer trying to get closer and closer. But there was a lot of research. Um, you know, I wasn't uh, in the locker room per se, but I was reading a lot of accounts of locker rooms, watching a lot of um, documentaries and games and reality TV, sort of every permutation of this moment in sports culture. Any other questions? Okay, in the back, yes. Um, I don't know if I got any specific lessons from this, but um, the Universal Association of Baseball. Um, oh yeah, by Robert Coover. Yeah, that's, that's a, a lovely book. Wonderful book. I mean, yeah. it's like fantasy before there was fantasy, yeah. and. Um, and just wild. Uh, that one was good. Um, you know, I read, I start, I had always liked um, McPhee, but, you know, I was mm. reading his early profiles of Bill Bradley and other, um, and I just sort of went down a rabbit hole of this very narrative reportage where, you know, it reads almost like fiction, but he's got every detail of a place and a mm. person. Um, woven into the narrative and so that was sort of a north star the whole way through the project that's cool uh, you also mentioned the seattle pilots earlier so i have to ask if you read jim boughton's book no i didn't i oh, know okay. of it though. You, oh you yeah. should you'll love it yeah 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 awesome um yeah maybe one more question is, if there is one all right all right let's call it a night oh, then yeah thank oh you. wait 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 did you have one? Oh, yeah. sorry okay <laughs> i don't want to leave anyone out all right Um, not firsthand. Uh, I, if anyone likes chapter six, I would encourage you to follow the WAGS hashtag on Instagram. Um, <laughs> the, the sort of culture, um, it's, a, it's a lot more complicated than the way it's presented, you know, on social media, but sort of the, the, the peacocking and the expectation of, um, sports spouses, the wives and girlfriends to present in this particular way was um, fascinating, upsetting, complicated. And, um, you know, so it was some of that it was watching like the whole uh, sports wives reality franchise, um, mm-hmm. baseball, basketball, um, thinking about that as well. So, um, yeah. All right, thanks so much for coming out. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.